Still in Mexico City, episode number two. Last week we um, were still in Mexico City with um, Paula Abram, who's here with us again. Hi, y'all. <laughs> Make sure we're recording, we are. Um, and so today um, I'm with one of my um, newly favorite artists that I basically got connected to through social media. Really like their um, artwork and how disruptive they were and how like just inherently queer the work felt. And I was like, this is probably like a place I'd want to like stay at and like interact with this artist. So I slid into the DMs and asked um, the person that we're about to introduce um, if I could come to Mexico City and talk about art with them and make work with them. And so now we are literally sitting in one of the apartments of an artist that I feel very inspired by and I think it's like really fucking cool. And so without further ado, I will introduce you to our star guest, even though we do have two other queens that are here with us that will be kind of interjecting. Um, <laughs> so we are with um, Felix, and I'm stalling because I don't know your last name. Dale. <laughs> Felix, Felix Dale, right? Yeah. Felix right. Dale. Felix Dale. Uh-huh. Okay. So tell us um, a little bit about you. Okay. Well, I'm a Mexican American oh. artist. Uh, I'm mixed race, uh, and my work is very much about exploring queer identity, um, especially through the lens of, of being like a of uh, a minority and, uh, and, and about diversity. I, I'm very interested in painting the full range of queer experience. When I look at your work, the themes that I see are like a lot of disruption, um, a lot of like unapologetically centering queerness, whatever that means. So it could be queerness. Okay, we're gonna have to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got some guests coming. <laughs> I'm gonna keep recording though. I'm oh, sorry, it's gonna be a minute. I need to, take, I need to exit, uh, pay the pizza. Okay. We always have to wait for an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying so hard to balance like sounding like your friend for the sake of the podcast, and honestly, I'm like fangirling. Like I'm in your apartment. <laughs> All right, so as we were saying, um, yeah. Long story short, I um, oh, the dog. Is there a way to ask? She's gonna, no. She's She'll gonna stop. just call down her own and like, when she decides to go. <laughs> this episode has become suddenly very ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> it's cute. This is hashtag Black Matter. <laughs> I love that because it's a more personal thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right, so anyways, the themes that I really pick up on is that it's very disruptive. It's very unapologetically queer. And I think that um, even though I'm, I'm not Mexican or, or um, identify with parts of your experience, I do feel that just like the aesthetic that you center allows for folks to feel seen in ways that like, I think, you know, amongst black, queer um, women, you know, anyone that is non-white male that's pushed to the margins of society, I think that we're all very hungry for like people that are facilitating space and facilitating work that says like, fuck respectability, fuck the norm, like, let's be who we are. And I think that there's me being in academia, there's so much theorizing about that. And so many people talking about that's what they wanna do. But there's something beautiful when you find people that are actually doing it in real time. But I'm really interested in just like, how do you came to be in your art form? And do you ever experience times where you feel shy about some of the stuff that you're putting out um, because of the way that it may connect with people? Or just like, how did you come to being the artist that you are? 
<laughs> and your daughter in the background is pissed. <laughs> so answer as much as you can. But basically, just like tell us about how you how you came to be the artist that you are. Well, my paintings, first of all, I think I should probably explain what they're like mm -hmm. so that people could understand what I'm. So I make paintings that look very vintage, and so I, I make I, I'm a very good mimic. So I can I make paintings that look pretty realistically like they were painted in the 1920s or the 1850s or they're like you know Japanese Edo period paintings or American 1950s golden age comic style paintings and it's like so I have all of these different paintings that look like they're painted in the past mm -hmm. but which I love I love these vintage styles of, of art mm -hmm. but the problem about a lot of these vintage styles of art is that they very much center a very like white heteronormative yeah. image of the world and we're not seen in that exactly yeah. so it's like so as, so myself as a Mexican-American gay man I, I remember I felt like I love these things uncritically as a kid and it wasn't until a little later that I started to be like you know I'm not in any of them mm -hmm. <laughs> like I never see anybody who, who's like who's, who's had an experience remotely like mine mm -hmm. in any of the work that I love mm -hmm. so I started making paintings that centered like a, a Latino experience mm -hmm. initially mm -hmm. um, uh, but that were telling like these queer stories and Latino stories um, but telling them in this vintage style and uh, and I was doing that for a while, and they, I think that they were really like they were really successful and really beautiful, and I got a lot of really positive response from them. And as time went on, I just started to realize like, well, this is my experience, and mm -hmm. I'm making, I'm feeling in these this uh, this thing that I felt like needed to happen. It's like because the artwork speaks this like language of nostalgia, mm -hmm. and um, and I think that when you look at it, you feel a connection to it. And, um, and it was working for my community, but I wanted to like, to my specific little corner of the queer community, but I wanted to expand that and, and include other kinds of queer experiences. Great. In what I'm doing. Um, I think like some of the viewers may be wondering like, okay, this is Black Minor Podcast. This is about like kind of centering the simultaneity of blackness and queerness. And mm -hmm. so my audience is, I really see this as like a love letter to black folks mm -hmm. that um, are living on the margins and that really push the norms of what it means to be black, what it means to be queer, mm -hmm. what it means to be a male. And so some viewers that have more of a limited frame of thinking may be like, why are you on the show as, <laughs> as a mixed race um, Mexican-American? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we need to expand our conversations when we oh. think about um, blackness and I think that the way that your work is very disruptive I think you give like a lens for POC folks um, black folks included and Mexican folks to really build solidarity yes. and, and see how you're kind of building a platform that is allowing us to like have these conversations about diversity and about POC communities and about making art from a POC um, space and designing you know projects that are facilitated in um, POC experiences and so tell us a little bit about like how um, you feel your work has either intentionally or unintentionally centered POC queer people be meaning Mexican queer people black queer yeah. people etc well it's very intentional mm -hmm. um, good so like I was saying it's initially it was more about Latino experiences but um, one of the more beautiful things about being an artist in particular the kind of artist I am is that it's led me to uh, have lots of conversations and make new friendships with people who do not have experiences like I have had. So it's like, like I have quite a few paintings uh, that that center like a black queer experience, mm -hmm. but I can't make those paintings unless I have conversations with black, black queer, queer people. people. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like the work that I make is based on conversations. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, you know, like when I'll meet somebody and I'll be like, wow, this person's great looking. Mm -hmm. And they have this experience that doesn't have, that's very different from my experience, except there's always this unifying factor that it's like, that we're both minorities. And it's you can like, give them a medium to communicate their experiences in maybe ways that they um, are not able to do or just like don't see themselves. Exactly. Because I, I think, I love what you said earlier about like, you know, kind of 
not seeing ourselves represented in these like, you know, vintage type art pieces. Yeah. But I think that you, by de donating and kind of like, you know, giving your love to us in a way that allows for your art platform to center us. Yeah. Um, it is really beautiful because then like you're kind of creating um, ways for us to be seen in, in, in art pieces and ways that we're yeah. not seeing it. And ways for us to understand our own history. Because yes. it's like one of the things that like... It's not like we weren't there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And my work is very much based on like... Uh, like a revisionist history of the past, mm -hmm. which is only revisionist to the extent that it was never painted or mm. represented. Okay. But obviously queer people were there. Queer people of, of color and otherwise were, we're like living in the there. past. We've always yeah. been there. So like my paintings are like, are, are taking that idea from the past and giving it to us in the present. And yeah, it's you're like, taking, I think maybe, have you ever heard of um, Jose Munoz? No. <laughs> you were really performing Jose Munoz's like disidentification theory, which is something I'm really fascinated about, fascinated in because Jose Minos talks about like queer utopias mm -hmm. and like taking um, notions of um, parts of the of the world of history that we're not a part of. And so yeah. like Basquiat, for example, was an artist that identified with um, mm -hmm. Andy Warhol, mm -hmm. I think. And he in one of his chapters, he talks about like how queer folks, especially black queer folks, um, he's a Cuban American scholar. Mm -hmm. and he talks about how queer folks and um, POC cultures who are queer, um, we're not represented in mainstream culture. And so sometimes we have to take the thing in mainstream culture that we maybe feel somewhat connected to, mm -hmm. and we have to disidentify from it. So like me as a black kid, I have to look at Superman, right? There's no black superheroes at yeah. that time when I was growing up. Yeah. Look at Superman, I don't identify with him, but I have to pull from Superman as a superhero, right? Yeah. And then like identify with my, put it through my blackness, so then it comes yeah. out as like a black superhero. Yeah, yeah. Know? So like that is very much like what Black Panther is yeah. about, and there are, and he talks about how well, like, like to, I to painted be, a black yeah. lesbian Wonder Woman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so exactly. Again, like you're yeah, yeah. you're you're disidentifying from Wonder Woman, yeah. and then identifying her with that black lesbian yeah. to now make something that projects that takes the past, yeah. straight bullshit Wonder Woman, yeah. and projects a new future queer black woman woman yeah and so that is like something really it's super powerful it's beautiful yeah it's very like sci-fi funky crazy and i feel like um jose Nino's work is super ethereal like yeah. you need to read it with a joint or something <laughs> but like it's really beautiful to see that like even without reading that because jose again jose yeah. Nino's was a queer cuban-american scholar and even without reading that book like you're doing yeah. his work i mean you're, you're you're in conversation with his work well which i feel like all queer people like in solidarity like we're we're yeah. very much in conversation with each other even yeah. if we don't know each other yeah, yeah. You know, and that's like super beautiful. Well, I, I, that's, I mean, that's the thing that I feel is so powerful about the kind of artwork that I'm mimicking mm -hmm. because it's like that artwork speaks to all of us. It's like it's, it speaks culturally across the board to everybody who's participating in like in Western culture. Yes. And but it's just it's excluded almost like it's excluded so many voices. So it's like it has its own like power that's built around nostalgia and um, uh and like an identification with what the past means mm -hmm. and it's just in and like by amplifying it by taking the power of wonder woman you know and like and and what you know that kind of art style means yeah. and just being like you know no there's a reason why she needs to be like i'm gonna a straight her. white woman it's yeah. like she can be any anybody yeah. it's like and and by and then take that imagery and queer it mm -hmm. and then it 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 speaks to us in this way that's like that i think i find really beautiful and very powerful because it seems like so much of your work, especially not that I feel connected to it, it seems like so much of it is not about like, you know, redoing Wonder Woman, but it's about like creating new possibilities. Yeah. So really showing that like 
there can be a black queer woman. Yeah. There can be um, a, a Mexican and black artist that resonate with each other and they create a piece from yeah. it. Like you're really, it seems like you're creating new possibilities for people who have been pushed to the margins yeah. of society um, <laughs> to see themselves yeah. um, in mainstream culture. When I say mainstream culture, I don't think that we're concerned with white people seeing us, right? We're concerned with like yeah. creating a new mainstream yeah. where like we can have these conversations yeah. and it excludes whiteness in a way that I think is beautiful because it allows for me to learn yeah. about Mexican culture yeah. um, from you and from you. I'm making my work with the people I'm painting in mind. So it's like right. when I make a painting of a Latino person or a black person or an Asian person or whatever, it's like I'm really meaning it for that particular community of like say black lesbians or whatever that I made that particular painting for. Mm. However, I also feel like it's going to be seen by a much wider community. So mm. it's like on the one hand, like, like say a, a painting of a gay Mexican couple, male, you know, it's like that's meant for gay Mexican men. But I also know that a wider community is going to see that and learn from that. So Good. it's like, so other people are going to like, are going to have this vision of what it means to be a queer Mexican man. But also I have this fantasy in my head of like straight white people looking at it. And this, to the extent that it's like, because they're taking this, this historical style, I feel like, like I have this, this fantasy of like somebody looking at it and being like, wait a minute, did, did like, was it acceptable to make a painting of like this in the past? Is my homophobia and racism acceptable when it was already not acceptable back in the day you know it's like i feel like it's it's like upending styles across the spectrum like not just it's like the specific intent is the community in particular that i'm representing to center them to center them and that's what it's for and that's and that's like my real real intent but i do feel like it speaks to a wider purpose which has to do with um educating the wider queer community about the experiences of all of us the way i myself am getting educated when i you know, speak to a new a new person whom I haven't painted before, or a new experience that I haven't painted before, and I myself am learning, and I'm communicating that in the work. But it's also like for the culture at large. I feel like every time a painting like this or a work of art like this, not just my own work, but to like all artwork that um, centers non heteronormative white experiences, mm -hmm. amplifies the culture and pushes us a little. You know, even if it's in like tiny, tiny baby steps, but it pushes us forward as a as a complete culture towards something that's more inclusive and, you know, to understand, to being like, oh yeah, like, you know, there were like queer families, like, you know, mm -hmm. 50 years ago, hundred so years ago. So it sounds like in addition to kind of creating this like solidarity amongst like POC queer communities yeah. where we're able to see ourselves through art and things yeah. that we weren't present before, you're also interested in kind of like filling history gaps yeah, in a way. Definitely. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, 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 for sure. So yeah. tell me why, um, or, or yeah, I guess like why, why do you feel like non-Mexican POC, especially black folks, as we were talking earlier about the project from the two men in Atlanta that you're yeah. thinking of doing, yeah. why do you feel that um, non-POC or non-Mexican POC folks, so black folks, for example, yeah. um, trust and kind of feel this like connectivity to you or your work? <sighs> That's like why do you feel like I found you on Instagram yeah. because like I resonate with this artist or like, it has it been a surprise to you that people who don't share, you know, your yeah. identity experiences are reaching out to you and wanting you to, to tell their stories through your art form? Or is that something that doesn't surprise you? But like, how does it, you know, why do you feel like that's happening is what I'm asking. I feel like, I don't know how, to, like, that's also difficult. It's like, it's simultaneously. I have speculations on Yeah, yeah. Like well, it simultaneously does and does not surprise me where okay. it's like a part of me sometimes feels like, can I tell these stories? And like, am I really, it's like, I have my own experience and I feel like when I make a painting of a queer cisgender Latino experience, it's like, I am a hundred percent, like I know what I'm doing and I stand <laughs> totally behind it. Yeah. And every other experience becomes more tricky because mm -hmm. it's like, I'm worried that I might make a mistake. I'm worried that I might have prejudices that I don't even know I have. And then I'm expressing it in the artwork. I'm worried about well, like, you do. I mean, you yeah, have exactly. We all do. So yeah. it's like, I'm worried about like, 
a lot of these these things. But I feel like like I do try to be a good listener, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I try to approach every project that I make with love. Mm-hmm. It's like my work is it's like very much about exploring this like very positive vision of the past. It's like I've been talking a lot about how I paint these these images from the past, but I'm, I generally don't paint sad things or tragic things. You know, I paint people in love, people who are like expressing the most beautiful part of what it is to be queer. You very sound much like a traditional academic in this <laughs> because one of the, now I'm going to like take yeah. a departure, but like okay. one of the things that you just said, which was total departure from where I was going to go yeah. next, but like, I do feel like in you saying that you're intentionally trying to paint with love and yeah. happiness and joy yeah. um, makes me think a lot about like black joy. So there's like a movement that we call kind of black joy where it's intentionally about centering um, experiences of black joy as a form of political resistance because uh-huh. so much of yeah. black um, artistry and yeah. black music and black um, popular expression or just yeah. like black popular culture is always um, judged by like how much it talked about racism and oh my life is so difficult you know yeah. so when i directed the short film don't touch my hair as i yeah. told you about it was very 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 intentional for us to end the film with um, my friend faith shout out to faith um who just like exalts black joy and she is just like talking about like having a different hair texture yeah and having to really navigate that and she ha- and it's funny and it's goofy and she talks about how like people said that her hair would never fit in with the black girls and she's like look yeah. at me now like, <laughs> because i think that so many times when we're funded by you know the revolution can't be funded by the oppressor and unfortunately yeah. with don't touch my hair it was funded by a university yeah. so when white people are funding these types of like authentic quote-unquote black projects yeah. there is this expectation that it ends with you know, people criticize our hair and we can't get jobs. And so we're so sad and, and, and yeah. blackness is so depressing. And we totally said, fuck that. Yeah. And like really showed the beauty, the joy that is having um, black hair textures yeah. and like the different experiences that comes with having a black, you know, hair aesthetic and yeah. the hair salons and, and how the, the, the cultural space and the love that's built in those salons. I think that connects a lot with you, mm-hmm. with Misa Konas. It's like, you're not interested in telling people like, oh, machismo culture is so homophobic, so we had to create our own restaurant. It's like, no, we're just living. Yeah, we're doing. We're, we're just living. We're just trying <laughs> yeah. to get people excited yeah. and happy about what we're doing. And yeah. in doing that, you resist. You, you engage yeah. in a form of political resistance that I think people have this expectation that as queer people, as people of color, um, as, as, as women artists, et cetera, we're supposed to only create art that talks about how, how like sad our experiences. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it's really beautiful that you're saying like, I'm intentionally wanting to center joy yeah. because we need more of that. Now, yeah. when you get a Guggenheim or something like that, that I think will be a, a, a part of contention because they're the higher ups, the institution, yeah. that's why I don't, you should never have institutional loyalty yeah. when it comes to your art practice, but mm-hmm. the funders will want to see well, how, how homophobic is Mexico, you know? Yeah. And so being, yeah. really holding on to like, my work does this, my yeah. work centers joy, I think is like super fucking dope. And like, you need to hold yeah. on to that. Yeah. Because when you get big funders, <laughs> that could all, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. You feel like you answered the question about why do you feel non-Mexican POC folks really connect to your artwork? This can be edited. No, I don't. Okay, keep going. So, okay, so, so I feel like, <laughs> Sorry for that. No, 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 that's okay. That's a, it's a good uh, segue but, uh, or di- uh, digression. But like, uh, I feel like what I was going to say is that um, because I do feel like I, I try to approach the artwork that I make with love, with joy, with respect, uh, and that, that it works. And so it's like, uh, I feel like the same way that I was like, when I started making Latino gay themed paintings where it was centering that kind of an experience. I was getting, I got a lot of really positive feedback from people who were like, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen an image that looks like this before that centers my experience in this way that, you know, and um, it just seemed clear to me that I needed to expand that. And so I think that because I approach it with the exact same frame of mind, except instead of 
you know, centering my experience, centering the experiences of other people who might have like, you know, been very careful to make sure that the experience that I want to paint is going to is going to reflect accurately their experience. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's worked. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, it's like there's a so there's this part of me that's still sometimes a little bit like, oh, I don't know, like is you know, if I should paint this or I feel, you know, kind of weird as like a, you know, not being a member of a particular community and, and doing it. But at the same time it's like I have gotten so much positive feedback. So many people like you who are who come to me and who want to um, collaborate with me because it's a very much a collaborative process. Um, so uh, I feel vindicated, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 really, it's just a, it's a it's a truly beautiful thing to um, from my end as an as an artist and as a human being to be able to uh, to have those dialogues and to have that experience. Mexicans responded to your medium, to your artwork, and to the things that you center. So we think about machismo culture yeah. and hyper-masculinity that exists yeah. in brown cultures. Yeah. Um, how have they responded to your work, and does it hit a different nerve than it would if like, a white person responded to it with homophobia, or if I did? Um, Sorry to go deep, but no, I'm, no, that's I'm interested okay. in hearing your cultural experience. Um, Understood. If it's what I think I understood, it's like I've I gotten definitely a lot <laughs> of really intense feedback from from like Mexicans and Mexican Americans who are upset about the things I paint because they feel like like well for example I repainted a game called Loteria which is a Mexican card game which is a totally uh, vital part of the childhoods of almost every Mexican or Mexican American person that you will ever meet. Uh, it's like we all played it as a kid. And there's this traditional version of it that's a game from, that was drawn in like the 40s or something like that, that is just, you know, it's like it's everything else painted at the time. It's like a very like heteronormative centered experience. And so I made a version of it that's queer, that's, that's kind of a little on the PG-13 but dirty side mm -hmm. and, um, and, that, and that's inclusive. And it's like a very, you know, and um, queer people love it. I've gotten so much good attention, you know, positive attention for it. Like queer Latinos are often like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. It's like it reset, it re uh centers their childhood in a different way so that it's like they can see themselves reflected in something that they may not even realize is missing but straight latino people can sometimes react in this really crazy way where it's like i'll get a lot of responses where it's like uh oh my god you're like you're ruining our heritage and like this is like a this sacrosanct holy thing that belongs to like all latinos and you're like blah, blah, blah. ruining it by making it like gay and like you gay people have to ruin everything and like you know, there's a whole like <laughs> you straight you guys are ruining it <laughs> yeah i know it's like, after the beginning so it's like yeah. you know so it's like i i, I like uh I, there was at one point where this rather pretty popular online magazine in Mexico made an article about me and the article was it was a video and it was quite nice like they did a really good job of it and they, they basically I totally like what they like what they said is what I is how I feel the responses it was like oh my god like 5,000 hate messages of like but you know when you have over 10,000 Instagram followers you can't read the trolls it just you know, like fucks up your your good juju no it does it's true it's like I don't get that much negative and, and, and you know it's like that was the first time this ever happened where yeah. it's like 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 that's been you know and it did yeah I was like kind of a little like thrown off mm -hmm. for a few days where it's like I forget mm -hmm. that there can be that many homophobic people out there yeah I mean I, I think <laughs> yeah. I, I live in a little queer bubble but going back to Jose Vigos's work which like it's so yeah. crazy 
that you're in conversation with, um, you're kind of like breaking this 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 normative, and so people that um, get uncomfortable with your work, there's something in them yeah. that, that is like a, a bias in them. But you're really just centering a a, a different possibility. Or yeah. I think the fact that like queer people, we do live in another world. And so yeah. when you say like, I forget that um, this many homophobic people exist, we live in another world. You yeah. know, and I think the goal of like your artwork and your restaurant and the work that I'm doing as a scholar is really about like you know pushing to the center these alternative yeah. worlds that already exist. Yeah. Like there are already Mexican chefs that are um, cooking in high heels. They are And so I just think like yeah. these, these conversations at large about like how do we center our culture and our queerness simultaneously yeah. is very much broadly and more sci-fi about like how do we create other worlds so that our bodies can live free without um you know the oppressions of heteronormativity and having to every day walk outside of our, our apartment thing well let me get home today because i'm painting a certain thing yeah like what does the world look like if you what does your world look like if you didn't have to think about the trolls you didn't have to think about the way that people criticize your culture yeah. you pull didn't have to think about a homophobe walking in and being like this isn't mexican food like what would your would your art be doing the same exact thing or would it free you even more if you didn't have to worry about those um those stigmas, those oppressions, racism, et cetera. Really living in a world where homophobia was not even a thing. Tell me about that. Take well, me there. If we were living in a world where homophobia wasn't a thing. What would you be painting? I probably <laughs> wouldn't be painting what I'm painting because somebody else would have already done it. Okay, girl. Because it's like, if- You wouldn't like, be needed. I wouldn't be needed. It's like, mm. I'm needed because no, like artists, like luckily we live in an era where I can make, where it's legal to paint what I'm painting. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Recognizing the privileges that we do have. Exactly. It's like we live in another era. So it's like, you know, in the past artists couldn't paint what I'm painting, mm. even though clearly there were lots of, a lot of these, the artists making the original art that my work is based on were queer. They would have been arrested. It's like, they, you know, they couldn't out themselves. I wouldn't have to sell and like professionally prostitute myself in order to get a grant. Yeah. Like in order for me to get a grant to get money for this podcast or mm -hmm. to make a film, mm -hmm. I have to sit in a room full of white people and not just convince them that I need money for this film because this film is great. I have to convince them why the mainstream is going to support this film. I have to convince yeah. them why is it important to tell um, a story about um, black queer men yeah. versus mainstream. Like what about all black queer men? Yeah. But our experiences are different. So if I was in a row that was free of all that bullshit, yeah. I wouldn't have to professionally prostitute my identity in order to get funding for my art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things would be things would be so different because, like, yeah. I mean, I'm like, uh, like in my case, you know, with me stuck on this, it's like, um, I mean, I I probably have to take up juggling because <laughs> 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 it's it's you know, cooking to me is so important and so is like my identity and and um, I you know, unfortunately, we all have to fight for you know for our visibility we all have to fight yeah. for our voice and that's extremely important now so i mean if if that wasn't the case if we all were just like oh you know we live in a good happy world where none of this bullshit exists then it's like you know dissertation product is about black queer futurity which is like centering black queerness and projecting it into the future yeah so what does the world look like a thousand years from now where you know black queer people are in the center right yeah. i'm really interested in creating that and thinking about how do you make film that does that, and movies that do that, you know? Yeah. Um, so what I, I will, you know, what I, what I like to ask you is like, I think um, uh, one of the books I'm really interested in is Octavia's Brew, and yeah. it's basically a, a, a black sci-fi book, yeah. but none of the writers are traditional science fiction writers. Yeah. They're all um, black queer folks that are doing like social justice nonprofit work. Yeah. And um, the editor of the book, um, she basically asked all these people that are 
practicing, right? That are yeah. doing the work in the community. Um, what does your work look like, you know, a thousand years from now? And yeah. they are telling these like really sci-fi stories because her whole theory is that um, there is, you cannot engage in social justice or, or in work that, um, you know, addresses homophobia without really closing your eyes and thinking about what the world looks like without the issue that you're working to eradicate. Yeah. So if you're trying to work for, a, if you're working for a, a center that is um, supporting people in poverty, yeah. you can't actively and effectively run that center yeah. unless you as the executive director yeah. are envisioning a world without poverty. Yeah. And you know what that world looks like, feels like, yeah. tastes like. Well, the ironic thing about a lot of my paintings, I guess, is that, I, is that I'm kind of doing that, I guess, because mm -hmm. it's like, like one of my, a theme that I do quite often is queer people in the past in public being queer oh, yeah. and not like, you know, so I have paintings of like people having picnics on the beach. Yeah. And it's like, and like, they're surrounded by like, you know, like a Victorian couple, you know, like walking in a park giving a kiss to each other, surrounded by other Victorian straight people, like with straight families and everything, and no one bats an eye mm -hmm. because it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't have mattered then, it shouldn't matter now, it shouldn't matter a thousand years in the future. It's in my work and a lot of it, I'm, I, it's like I kind of allied that reality, <laughs> which is that it could never have happened. Mm. But I like matter. to make yeah. the painting in a way so that it's like it celebrates that, like it celebrates the idea that it should have always been that way, mm. that it should have always been accepted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that in the past, just like in the present, it's like, I mean, because the present isn't different, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it depends on where you are, but you can still get, a, you know, a lot of trouble, like depending on where you are. And, um, and I want my paintings to, to imagine that world. It's like, they're imagining that world, like from, it, it, as if it had always been that way. You sound like you're in conversation with like science fiction. You know, I'm just adding well, I'm in, I'm academic jargon. Like, Basically, you have a PhD. <laughs> Dr. Felix. Because <laughs> a lot of what you're saying, I think, coincides with a lot of sci-fi writers who yeah. are from marginalized communities and they're writing about the future. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting concept to think about the future yeah. and the past and creating these portals through your yeah. artwork yeah. that takes the future and then projects Oh, sorry, it takes yeah. the past and projects it into the future. I actually have a whole series of paintings called The Future of Love. See, mm -hmm. I do want to switch it up a little bit and <laughs> take us to, since we've talked about kind of like this world of oppression and, and heteronormativity and how we need to get rid of that bullshit and create artwork that like doesn't even answer to it. Um, tell me a caucasity story as we ask everyone that comes on the show. So this is just <laughs> a fun story. Uh, Give us a, a Becky story, a caucasity story, something uh, that... Rubbed you the wrong way. And I know, I know that you're half white, so I yeah, you're yeah. a little uncomfortable right now. No, no. Well, well, lead well, into yes. your Mexican side. <laughs> and tell us a story. <laughs> Was it your uncle? <laughs> no, like, like, I don't He's know. He's blushing right now. Like, years ago, I had this horrible experience where I met... The and reclaim it. Make it funny. Reclaim it. It's over, right? Yeah, yeah. No, funny. no. It's a long time ago. So, like, I had this horrible experience where I met the extended family of a boyfriend mm. who was white. A white Irish... He, he was white or is he still white? He is, what did you do to him? put that Mexican on him? He's still white. But his family is, is, is white. And we went to dinner and um, like the, the table was shaped like an eight. And like his, he and his family were facing the other way because of the weird shape of the table. And I was sitting with his police officer cousins in like Oof. Sausalito in the North Bay facing mm -hmm. the other direction. And I thought everything was normal. And I, I look white. So like I'm Mexican-American, but it's like... If I don't tell you, you won't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're sitting there just all like having a normal conversation. I thought we were having a lovely time. They all seemed perfectly lovely. And then like the waitress was not a very good waitress and she wasn't in remotely Latina. She was Italian. But at any rate, they suddenly go, oh my God, like this Mexican, we're, we're getting, what did he say? He said that like, oh, it's this half-assed Mexican job because of this waitress. Oh 
And I was this sitting, is your partner's family. This is my partner's cousins. No. And I was sitting there. <laughs> your auntie. Oh my God. Well, he, he didn't know. Like he would never have said anything like that himself or his parents either. But like these were his, this was a more extended family. And like, I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like what do I say? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, and I ended up just, you know, like I was quiet for a minute there. Cause I was just like, this, we're at a family reunion. I don't want to be a jerk, but it's like, they're just like, you know, and they kept, they, they couldn't, they wouldn't let it go. They kept they're talking racist. about, they were racist. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. So then I finally, I was just like, you know what? Mm. I'm really sorry. Like, I know I don't look it, but I'm Mexican. <laughs> and there was this like total silence at the table. Who paid for the food though? My boyfriend, my See, boyfriend. If I were you, I'm going to wait until the bill is paid for. And then I'm going to be like, you're racist. <laughs> oh my God. It was a horrible experience. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, I mean, I survived it. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you guys break up? It, it had nothing to do with that. Really? Totally unrelated. So he was a complete ally. He was a complete ally. He was lovely. These were like straight police officer cousins from the um, north bay who had were not like him remotely they were like totally yeah. different cult you know like different um, i love people's yeah. story i love hearing like people of color stories about like interracial dating because it can be so awkward you know yeah it just, it just can be so <laughs> awkward i i have first experience with it and it just, there's just so many stories um and sometimes it could be it could be used to your dividend like yeah. i have an aunt who's married to a white man um and he, well, he's my uncle. I love them both. And um, she told me a story one time over Christmas dinner. And she just, you could just see the emotion coming up in her. But she was talking about how, like, so she's black, he's white. The kids yeah. are mixed race. Um, that when they go to restaurants, like, in their town, same yeah. restaurants, routine, yeah. spot to eat at, that um, he will be parking the car. She'll be in there with the kids. And they'll see him, like, with a white table. Like, with a, 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 a white family. Yeah. You know? And it's, like, because it, it really takes you back to, like, think about, like, we're still, as Americans, yeah. it's like, we're not, like, we may be, you know, thinking yeah. that we're in a post-racial society, but like I think the aesthetic, yeah. like like the, what looks like an interracial couple, still doesn't look like a normal family. Well, when so. I was a kid, like people would come to my house, and you know, like they would knock on the door, and they would assume my mother was my nanny. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. but it's it's you know, like I don't know. <laughs> Have you dated a lot of? Um, give us some like you know, inside scoop about feelings. Have you dated a lot of? Mexican man or yeah, well, definitely. I live in Mexico. So. Okay, <laughs> there are other people here. No, that's true. Excuse like, me. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm black and I'm Mexico right that's now, true. and that's I'm true. You know, available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but I'm dating. <laughs> Wait, that's, that's yeah, yeah. What is? Well, just like statistically speaking, I'm okay. sort of a slut, and so like you are. I definitely. So like, how does that come out in your art form? Oh my god! <laughs> what a question. Does being a slut inspire your artwork? naturally it's yeah, because like, i think you're just you're, you know yeah. you're, you're destabilizing heteronormativity like why yeah. can't you paint somebody and then give them a blowjob after like, well yeah whatever. exactly my work is very like sex positive that's the part of it so it's I like mean, so know. felix can you tell everybody your instagram handle because y'all need to check this work out it is beautiful. oh we add all that excuse me oh, okay. bitch we add that to the link <laughs> <laughs> this is my show <laughs> no, you need to we'll shout you out at the end okay, yeah, um, yeah. yeah stay on the program please <laughs> you had your episode last week <laughs> but yeah actually yeah let's 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 get off the academic stuff and tell me some tea about like what is Mexican grinder like? What's gay dating like out here? And how does being like, you know, if you identify as a slut, that's great, you know, respectable <laughs> terms. Like, how does being a slut um, inspire your artwork? Well, I actually don't have grinder. I don't use it at all. Okay, I don't good. Know really what Mexican grinder is, but because I'm an artist. 
What do you mean? So, well, like, like people are always writing me and they want to come over and model and like, you know, so it's like. So I, being a good painter has helped your game? Oh my God. Game? It's helped my sex life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very respectful. I'm always like, you know, but like, but for sure, it's like, you know, I don't know. It's like, it's just, I'm just surrounded by like drawing someone is an inherently sexy experience. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. they get, it's because, you know, I'm drawing people nude. Most of my, my paintings are based on nude photography. Like I'll dress them in my imagination afterwards, and they're not always naked when I paint them. But I feel like I'm, I'm going to be posing after this episode. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm starving. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not eating in preparation. <laughs> Just make me look beautiful. You know, I'm a black girl, so you know, my curves. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So you're basically saying like you're not on grinder because you don't need to be. I kind of don't need to. Be. Wow. Yeah. Okay, like, daddy. Like, it's super social. It's like well, you can know my party. I had these crazy parties. Yeah. And like I strip people naked yeah, yeah. it's like i just feel like my life is inherently sort of a sensuous experience and um you know it's 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 beautiful so it's, it's like i i don't know like i don't really like grinder and it's, it's like i don't i don't i'm surprised that you don't like grinder because no. i'm also married at this point so it's like but what is, I'm in what is marriage and queer like, yeah what is marriage yeah. and queer work like you know it's yeah. It's not like married, like no, you, no, you, you we're definitely not. Yeah, yeah, like uh, Airbnb. Not let me ask the most heteronormative question. So you're married? When are you having a baby? Are oh my god! No. Are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not... <laughs> I think you need a few. No, but I, I, I heard this theorist say the most beautiful thing the other yeah. day that like queer and POC people need to have more babies because babies of the future need to be raised by us. Yeah. Because like we mm. center alternative ways of living. And so she was. My mentor told me the story about like I forgot the woman's name, but basically she was saying that like. Queer people and like trans folks, et cetera, like people that live on the margins need to have babies because like yeah. imagine how dope those fucking babies no, are. No, I know. I, but I mean like I agree with that. I don't know. <laughs> Fund us. <laughs> I do agree with that. You need a little me. queer baby running around here though. That'd be so cute. It'd be cute. Like dressing people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But tell me about um just like the the queer scene in, in Mexico City in general, like how have you experienced it? It's interesting because you you, you are more white passing. And yeah. so you know, I think that does go with like, you have a different experience on grinding than I do. Yeah. So it does it make you uncomfortable or like, when did you first realize that? When did you realize you looked white? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are two different, like looking white is like, uh, uh, well, cause like Mexican society is very racist. So it's like, mm -hmm. as far as that goes, like ever since I was a, a kid, it's like, I was like the favorite grandchild because I'm the one with blue eyes. Like, oh. well, you know, well for sure. It's like, like when, when I was really little, um, there's a tradition where on the day of the Virgin of Guadalupe, there's like, they do like, like a parade and stuff. And so my mother took me to the parade, me and my sister, my sister looked more Latina than I do. And we were both dressed in like, you, they dress, you, they, you get dressed, they dress little kids in like Mexican Native American clothes. Mm -hmm. So I was wearing the, that outfit. Cause it's like, that's what you do. And they picked me up. And excuse, they excuse me. Can you be a little quieter? Yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have the husband in the background. <laughs> but so like, so my mother took us to the parade. This is in LA. And we were like, we were in it dressed like little like Mexican Native Americans. And the people carrying the palanquin where the Virgin of Guadalupe was standing saw me and they picked me up and sat me on it. Oh God. Because I'm, I look yeah. white. Like, cause it's like, it's just, you know, so my mom has these pictures are really cute and everything. And then they put my sister, they sat my sister there too, because we were together, but like, <laughs> The reason it happened is because of the way I look. So I it's know. like I've had this funny experience where it's like sometimes. But I it's feel... the privilege that you have to use because, you know, I'm looking at you and I'm, yeah. I'm hearing what you're saying. And I'm like, okay, we should write a grant together and just use your headshot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly it. It's like I feel like I am so like passing that it's like I feel like sometimes when I'm with other Latino people, I can feel like I'm not I'm never Mexican enough. Mm. But then I also feel like when I'm with white people that I'm not. 
white in, in, enough. Well, what does white <laughs> enough like mean? Well, what I mean by that is that yeah. like I didn't grow no up. No such like, thing as white people. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but I didn't mm. grow up in the in the, from the U.S. context. It's like I grew up. I learned English as a second language. Mm. Like I grew up with my my mother raised me, not my dad. So mm. it's like I learned. Uh, I feel like I identify with Mexican and Mexican American culture, and like and that means a lot of things that's beyond just like food and the Virgin of Guadalupe. It's, it also means it's like a a vision of the world. I'm like I'm first gener I'm second generation American, and so I feel like. Like my experience of the world is has more in common with other second generation people than with like a, this white centered fantasy about what it is to be American. And so it's like the way white people interact with their parents, for example, as a kid, which is like centered around individuality. And, Fuck off, mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would never, Make me a sandwich, bitch. <laughs> I would never be shocked me by that. Me too. I grew up in Connecticut and I felt like I was never black enough in like black male yeah. spaces. And then I was never queer enough because queer spaces can also be anti-black. And so it's like this, mm -hmm. this like performing of the equalizing yeah. of your identity when you're in certain spaces. And I feel like a lot of queer people of color experience that because yeah. like, you know, white supremacy doesn't just impact white people. Yeah. So black folks, Mexican folks are also impacted by white supremacy yeah. and therefore they police, you know, are they police POC identity. So yeah. being in, you know, black spaces and my mother telling me like, you're not masculine enough. Yeah. But then like me going to like, you know, the, the the girls camp or something like that just making friends with more females and yeah. feeling like I resonate a lot with black women but I don't identify as a black woman so yeah. I think there was there's so much about being POC and being queer yeah. where in our own communities you, you kind of feel like you have to kind of turn down your queerness and then when you're in a queer space which yeah. can be like gay pride white men first like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very anti-POC so yeah. it is like this dance and I feel like I have that dance plus the added dis you know, difficulty that I'm mixed race so mm -hmm. then it's like because I, I feel like I'm not only I'm navigating being How do you queer address this in your art as and a person of color. It's like I I really don't, to be honest. It's like I I, I think we're creating a new project. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something that I think about. It's because it's like I, I you know it's like because of the way I look. It's like like I do Aztec dance, which is part of my heritage. Yes. And uh, sometimes when I post photos of myself wearing my Aztec dance, people come for you. People will totally like people Mexican Americans more than anybody else will totally come for me and attack me. And Why like, is it always within our community that I, I feel like the common denominator is like people that are in our spaces come for us? But it's because of the way I look. It's like, I understand it. It's like, I look really white. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> so it's like, thing. it's yeah. yeah it, Cause like I had a, a friend of mine, a really good friend who came to Mexico city one time, a Mexican American guy who looks very Mexican American. And we got a cab and the cab picked us up in one second flat and we got in the cab and he was marveling at it. He was like, Oh my God. Like when I'm in San Francisco, it takes forever to get a cab. And like, I couldn't believe how fast it, no, no, because we're in Mexico and he looks Mexican and uh, was like, you know, he's, uh, not, he's not getting that kind of racism uh, in Mexico. Okay. But it, I was left marveling by what he said because it's like it's just something I never thought about at that point in my life. You know, mm. where it's like, oh yeah, because like the way I look, even though we're both exactly as Mexican as each other, like uh I don't have that problem. So it's like I understand I understand the idea that like I experience white privilege mm -hmm. and I also experience the all the privileges that come with being a minority. As a, as a Mexican-American. So it's like, so it's it's this funny thing where I can understand that there's a certain amount of resentment on the part of some Mexican-Americans who feel like, like I'm getting these unfair advantages because I am. But you need <laughs> you to, know. I mean, it, but it, I can't the real tea is the real tea. And I think if you, yeah. if you understand you've come to, to terms that you're getting these unfair advantages, like yeah. you need to use them yeah. in ways to fuck up the system. Yeah. And you I know, feel like, like that's what, I'm, what exactly. I want to do with my work. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, like, so like, I, I mean, like a thing that like happened not long me, ago. You know, to stay in your house for cheap. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like not long ago, a Target stole one of my art pieces to put it on a t-shirt. And then they used a white model to advertise. Target. It. 
Same you know, experience. so it's like, <laughs> so like one of those things that I feel like about, about that particular experience is like, I am Mexican, but I wouldn't use myself as a model for that image because I, it's like, I feel like I don't, I don't, I'm not very representative of, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I have this funny thing where it's like, on the one hand, I want to like, I have other friends who are mixed race who have the same kind of issues that I do where they're never, they're not quite, they don't look enough like the, 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 um, the person of color side of what they are to, mm-hmm. so that they get, they get a lot of like negative feedback from both sides you know but then also but like, like we have to get over like yeah. colorism and thinking that yeah. to be yeah. black or to be mexican you need to look a certain way yeah and that's that's something that i we have to, to approach we have to address that because you know yeah. i i think for years i yeah. dated mainly outside i mean i'm dating someone outside my race right now yeah. um for completely different reasons but i feel like for years i would always say that i wasn't attracted to black men i didn't yeah. date black men because i felt that i wasn't worthy enough to be seen as attracted to black men and because i you know i was <clears> more seen as like yeah more like a I grew up in Connecticut, went to suburban schools. Like I can co-switch very, you know, adequately. Yeah. I can, I can, I can thrive in white spaces, but never felt like that I could socially thrive in like black male spaces. And yeah. so I didn't have a lot of like straight black male friends um, growing up. But like that is like the way that white supremacy like works when it, when we internalize it. So it seems like we all kind of experience yeah. that. But so we have to human- work to fuck it up. Like, yeah. You have to fuck it up with Arts. your restaurant, yeah. and you have to fuck it up with your artwork, yeah. so that we can get rid of these um, forms of white supremacy that have, you know, impacted our communities, i.e. colorism, et cetera, or like looking Mexican or not looking Mexican. Like that is a bunch of bullshit that like we have to, especially you with a big platform, have to interrogate. have to tell your family and your your Mexican friends, like stop doing that shit. It's tricky though. Cause it's like, I I want, it's It's really hard. It's it's a funny thing. It's cause like, I wonder about like, well, I do have this privilege and it's like, I don't want to like, you know, sometimes every now and then I get in this funny headspace where I'm like, oh, I wish I looked more Mexican. And it's like, do I really want to have more like prejudice directed toward, you know, it's like this funny thing where I'm just like, uh, you know, it's like, it's hard to, to balance like privilege and culture and colorism and like all, you know, it's like, like if I'm, if I defend, if I like make artwork that's like defending the experiences of white passing Latinos, it's like, am I making artwork that's also like celebrating white privilege? Yeah. You know, it's just, it becomes, it's a very like complicated thing that's hard to, balance so that's i think that's one of the reasons why i haven't addressed it so much but as time passes it actually gets harder i feel like the 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 community of, of people of color get more it's like the the, the the conversation around cultural appropriation is always getting, getting more and more intense yeah. it's in some ways yes and in other ways i think academically yes in <laughs> social media no <laughs> experiences proving that there's no such thing as like the Mexican experience. There's no, no such thing as the it's black experience. All and you're you're really pushing to the center this the nuances yeah. that is being Mexican. Yeah, yeah. The nuances yeah. that are being black or and, and that's comes from that's also yeah. I think something of being mixed race and, and Mexican yeah. at the same time. And it's like it's hard to like what does that mean? You know, yeah. it's like both of them are fantasies. It's like you, you need to resist the 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 conditioning of simplifying your experience and yeah. maybe maybe the most simplest form of Felix is that you are complicated and yeah. you are nuanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is like what you push to the center yeah. through your, your being. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, and that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think like, uh, I think for me with the whole like, you know, colorism, cause I, I, I also get it cause I, I can be, I can be white passing, but I, I try not to, I mean, 
the way that the way that I like to come across when I have conversations with people is like let's let's talk about our culture when I'm talking to other Mexican American people or other Mexican people like let's talk about our culture let's mm-hmm. talk about something that we can relate about that has nothing to do with the color of our skin in that sense like I mean like uh, like just culturally speaking like we have similar experiences like how we celebrate our holidays you know how we interact with our families um, instead of like, oh, you know, like Polo Bramas, you know, is really like white looking or yeah. whatever. It's just like, well, how, how about like, you know, let's celebrate. How, how did you spend your Christmas Eve? Because, you know, when, you know, when you're Mexican, Christmas Eve is our Christmas. You know, we all open our presents on Christmas Eve. Nobody's going to open Christmas. Mm. <laughs> so colorism, you're saying, is, a, is, uh, is obviously an issue in the black community, in black communities at large. But you're saying it's a very alive and present thing in oh my god yes yes, yes. essentially because i feel like being here for just two weeks you know we went to the bathhouse we've done queer bars and things like that i feel like men have told me that i'm like beautiful and it seems like men have talked to me more than certain spaces it is very centered on um on white gay men you're exotic here though you i think you would experience it if you lived here okay <laughs> because they're definitely like there's racism of course. I guess, yeah. But, like, I think that in the show... Basically, I feel like I've gotten more men here than I would in Richmond. Yeah, but I, but I think that there's not that many black, black people men. here. So it's tokenizing, yeah. not not that they're not interested in, like, what my favorite color is. They're tokenizing like, and fetishizing. Yeah, they're definitely fetishizing you, that's for sure. But, you know, it's like... And I, and from my experience, it's like, I feel like in Mexico, I'm treated like I'm way more... Like, I'm way cuter than I am. Like, <laughs> because, of, because it's like I'm in Mexico, and it's like the... Mm-hmm. the that kind of, like, scale of... Um, like when I was in San Francisco and I went to a gay place, everybody was white. <laughs> so you didn't stand Here, out. <laughs> I stand out because I look whiter than most. And, and, the uh, and there is definitely a colorism and the color, like, I think that like black people are actually outside of it a little bit because it's like, there just aren't that many, mm. but it's like here, it's like we range cause we're like half Spanish, half native American. So yeah. it's like, I'm on this super Spanish looking end of things. And then there's a native American and you look looking end of things. And on the terms of power, it's like white's power, native American is not. And so like power is sexy. And like, there's this whole, like this whole fucked up racist thing happening. And it yeah. leaves people who look like me, like, with a with more complicated space yeah but i but i mean i feel like when i'm here it's like i i have zero doubt that there are people who have been into me because because they're white and they're like they're into that because there's you know like i've had people like look at me and suddenly i'll realize i'm not really paying attention and they'll say weird things to me like i've never looked at eyes like yours before so close Uh, or things like like that when i was was in japan i had japanese friends who identified as straight and they'd be like i want to see your penis because I've never seen a black one before. Or sometimes they were, it wasn't even about that. Sometimes it was like, I've just never seen a circumcised penis before and I heard that Americans are circumcised. So I want to see <laughs> And they were like completely straight guys. And I was like, this is fucking weird. But like, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, it's right. You know what you want. But again, it was, it was about like, it was more tokenizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, again, I feel like I've already said this, but like, if anything, all of us having these conversations together, we just, really prove the theory that like being black being queer being pc yeah. is a nuanced experience and yeah. it cannot be put under a monolith because like no. you totally fuck up like you know you, you can't define blackness no and you can't define mexicanness like no. it's, it's an ever-evolving thing yeah and the more people that are born in different skin complexions different expressions different you know femme attributes yeah. whatever just makes it more nuanced and i think artwork like yours that really centers that complicated disruptive mm-hmm. nuancedness of what it means to be mexican mexican-american that's why I think people that look like me may identify with your work because I think there is a movement that's happening. I think it's important for us that are already like in the public eye, like, you know, we're, we're considered like 
public figures, it's important to us to continue doing our work the way that we're doing our work because we, some, you know, some unintentionally or maybe intentionally, we are inspiring another generation. Mm -hmm. And that is extremely important for us to continue to be ourselves and inspire a younger generation so they can continue the movement. So then as you asked the question earlier, like, what do you see the world in a thousand years? Well, in a thousand years, we'll have so many, so many more generations that have been inspired. So setbacks, I guess. yeah, so, you know, it, it just, it, yeah. it just comes out more natural, more normal. So, Paul, just to get to our, our kind of last and final question, unless you have anything to add before we close up, but I like to ask every guest that comes on the show, um, kind of like tell me about your your work and your dreams um, for your community, the community that you center in your work, projected a thousand years from now, dreams and Felix's work and your contributions to the world and how they will manifest when you're not here, if, if you could have it your way. So. Close your eyes, take us a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years. Is shit, is your fucking paintings flying around the world? Like whatever they're doing. But I want you to think, I think it's really important for people of color and queer folks to think about the thing that they're doing and to think about our livelihood and what we're manifesting mm -hmm. and how it will impact the world when we're no longer here. So take a minute and like, you know, take a <laughs> You can close your eyes and say, what, is, what, is, what does your apartment look like? Like take a step, but you're, you're obviously no longer here unless you're Cher and you're gonna yeah. live forever. But take us there. Well, my dream is that I feel like being an artist is like being a link in a chain. And I hope that I'm in a chain that will continue to go on for the next thousand years and that my work uh, is just a little part of something that allows the future to feel like queerness is an utterly and absolutely normal thing. That like, like I love, like it's sexy to imagine like an outlaw queerness and outlaw sexuality like this you know this whole vision of like what it means to be queer but in reality i think that um that it should be normal <laughs> it should be so normal that it's unworthy of comment it's yeah. unworthy of mm. it's just like you know it's un, as unworthy of comment as heterosexuality is mm. and uh and that's really what i hope that my work is 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 building towards and contributing towards and then as a person of of color it's like a whole other part of my work that I haven't talked about is that I, I make work that's very centered around the Mexican experience in terms of like pre-Columbian Aztec spirituality and our, uh, and our heritage as Mexicans that was taken away from us by the Spanish. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so the, the other strand of what I do, which is one part of it is has to do with the body and sex mm -hmm. and my desire that in the future desire is not viewed as something that should be sex, you know, outlaw or, um, in any way taboo. Uh, whatever, however it expresses itself. And then the other side of that would be to uh, embrace as Mexican Americans and as Mexicans, our spiritual heritage, mm -hmm. uh, which comes through the, you know, the Aztec, the, the Mexican, the pre-Hispanic side of who we are. And that, you know, the little link in the chain of what I have done will just continue. And, uh, and other artists will hopefully be inspired by what I've done and uh, continue to, um, to build upon it. Who um, inspires you? Take one per pick one person, family member, artist, but like someone that like, when you go to bed at night, you're like, good night, Lady Gaga. <laughs> 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 Important for us, as you talk about history and spirituality, yeah. for us to, to realize that like, 
there's not one painting on this wall or one piece of art that you've done that just comes from Felix, right? Yeah. Like you didn't no. get here alone. Yeah, yeah. And there are, um, I would beg to say, there are women, especially, yeah. um, I believe in all men of color's lives that like yeah. have inspired us. Like I write a lot about how like my, my femininity and yeah. my queerness was really inspired by like my grandmother and my mother who took yeah. me to the hair salon, who yeah. showed me that there were different spaces that, right? Yeah. And so I want you to like tap into your feminine, your queer energy yeah. and tell me like who in your life, like, um, really inspired you to be everything that you are today. You know, an, an artist that really inspired me was Carol Walker. Mm-hmm. Where tell us about her as if the viewer doesn't know who that is. Because you know, some of our viewers they don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so for y'all who don't know who Carol Walker is, well, Carol Walker is African American. She's <laughs> okay. she won a, a Genius Scholarship, what's it, the Mac- MacArthur Scholarship? MacArthur. She, MacArthur. MacArthur Scholarship. And she, Get your names right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she. Um, but why her? Like, why was that the first name that popped up? Just take us there. Well, because when I was in college, it's like I, I went to art school and um, it was a very white experience. It's like the students there were overwhelmingly white and I didn't feel Carl very... Cassidy. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt a little outside of, you know, the context of where I was. And um, it was, you know, like I went to art school and uh, Kara Walker... Like, I'm also a very traditional artist. I make paintings that are like... I, I'm very, like, highly trained. But I have a lot of skill. And uh, Kara Walker, I came across her at that time in my life, and uh, I felt like she put her technical skill to use to tell these stories that centered this like this African American experience in this way that was like really powerful. It's like she used classical technique to re like to harness like uh, the power of classical technique to uh, to to critique uh, like. White, white American culture, yeah, yeah. and uh, and like in her work in particular, at least at the time, had to do with like the with slavery and the um, the impact of slavery over time. Her work is incredible. Yes, and I had never really seen anything like that before. And I felt like as a as a Mexican American, it's like I felt like like her experience of, of blackness mm-hmm. was something that I felt like I was like, wow, I could use the way she approaches her experience as a woman of color myself as a Mexican-American and a queer man to tell stories that are um, that center this experience that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm learning in school, which is about, you know, like, I mean, there, it was a very good school. It was That's this identification again, like so yeah. much of growing up as POC, queer, yeah. we have to like unlearn the things that we've been taught are like normal and the things yeah. that we should know. And so for me sitting in history and it's all about white people, it's like, yeah. I had to like identify with the ways that history was important, yeah. right? But then like put it through my black queer body yeah. and use the, the the structure of the academy yeah. and go into the library and find books about black people. Yeah, yeah. And that well, sounds like what you're saying about Carol Walker. Yeah, like at the time I didn't know who to look for. Like there was no, no class or anything that was going to teach me about yeah. my Mexican-American experience. So you but there were yeah. books that were about um, a black experience. So mm-hmm. then, so I was, so I read um, some black theorists at the time because I, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to find the books I wanted that were going to tell me, teach me about my own experience. Mm-hmm. But I felt like, well, this isn't my experience, but it's kind of similar in some ways. Yeah, it's not white. Yeah. It's like it's another, it's another like it's a, it's another like different oppressed community who have had a different experience. But it's like we're we're, we're oppressed. Yeah, and uh, and so it's like and, the, and yes, there's so, there's solidarity there. And so I felt like uh, so like these these scholars that I read at the time and these artists that I discovered at the time, like Kara Walker, really like her in particular, like really 
opened my eyes to what I could do with my technique uh, to be able to explore these kinds of stories that I'm telling now. So it's like, that's that's actually something that was like really, that was really important to me at the time. And I still think about her. I really love her. It's so great. I feel like in yeah. so many conversations I've had, especially with, with queer men, mm-hmm. it is always at the root, at the root, at the root. There's always a black woman. It's always <laughs> a black woman. Grandma, I love you. <laughs> I just feel like when you really go deep, it could be yeah. the, the, the most like, you know, it could just be anyone, but like I feel like there's always a black woman in some part of our of our of our room, and so I'm mm-hmm. glad that you brought up um, Kara Walker, and I think that that's just like super dope. I, She's amazing. Yeah, her artwork yeah. is really dope as well. Um, but yeah, I feel like you, your art school experience resonates well with a lot of artists because there's you know how how would Dina Pendel, and if you know her, but um, she's another one that I feel like you'd be you'd be really fascinated with because yeah. she. Um, was a black woman artist that definitely like kind of you know became a curator and played the game and learned went to art school and learned you Mm -hmm. know the ways of of performing in art world and then she used literally the resources of the white art industry to create this film called Free White and 21 Mm -hmm. where she basically like used proper lighting and all these like white standards of being an artist to critique the system and basically talked about how racist it was and then from there created like multidisciplinary work that engaged like texture and visual and film and like she became this like very unapologetically black artist but it was because she used she like learned all the tools of the master's house to basically say like fuck these tools yeah i know (laughs) them all and i'm gonna use them to get jobs but like i don't i don't need to i'm gonna throw them all out the window when i get to the top so yeah yeah i mean like hashtag that's kind of my strategy for being a a phd student is like i think that there needs to be you know more of us that are in the academy and you learn how to like kind of um tear down the beast from mm-hmm. being within the, the belly of it. Yeah. What is going on in Mexico City today that you just feel is like worth mentioning or something that you feel really fired up about just in your community? Well, I do. I'm, I'm an Aztec dancer, okay. which is really more wrapped up with spirituality than with, um, it's not a performance. You, we do ceremonies. Okay. And that's something that I find really... <laughs> Get that straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, find, I find it very inspiring. It's like it's this resurgence of this kind of a decolonized spirituality that I think is just like something that's really powerful and really beautiful. And so it's like, it's not something that would be easy to access as a tourist. If you were to come to Mexico, just to like, you know, visit. But um, if you contact me, I would be happy to invite you. <laughs> it's easy yes. to, to access for me. And it's, a, it is really a truly beautiful thing. And that's something that for me is a particularly fulfilling and, and, and extraordinary thing about Mexico. I love asking this. This goes back to like the Caucasian story. Remember that interview with, um, the sister of uh, Versace when she they were asking her like questions, oh my like, god tell us about it. like Donatella most annoying uh, mispronounced word and she's like Versace it's Versace so tell us <laughs> what is the most like, <laughs> for anyone at the table what is the most like um, American like misconception or mispronunciation of something in Mexican culture that you need to like get correct tamale <laughs> Hi, hey, um, we're leaving Tulum right now. <laughs> Tulum? Oh my god. Do you start. have any, like, from working in the art world that, like, you've interacted with other artists and they just, like, have no clue? Oh my god. I'm sure I do. I can't, like, I can't. <laughs> Oh, and then I was wearing my Frida Kahlo shirt, and then uh, this uh, this white lady, when I was at work, she was like, oh my god, is that Frida Kahlo? <laughs> <laughs> I, I seriously, like, a little face palm. I was like, mm, it hurts so bad. Just... I've had, like, the opposite happen to me where, like, like I, I was riding in a car one time with this guy, and I said, and uh, and I was like, oh, we're we're passing to Chavez Street in San Francisco, and he goes, oh my God, I love it when when white people pronounce Spanish words. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Y
I close out, I want to thank you for allowing me into your home. This is a great little vacation, way to get out of Richmond and kind of, you know, think about my, my theory work through the lens of someone that I think is really engaging in the practice. And so it's super dope. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for, for being on my show. Um, yeah, is there anything you want to add? If not, you can give us your ways for folks to keep in touch with you and to buy your art, um, to hit you up for commissions. But again, a little like right. shameless plug. <laughs> well, thank Go you. ahead. I have a uh, shop on Etsy, so they can check that out. It's uh, Felix Stone. If you look that up on Etsy, you'll find me. And, uh, and also, also on Instagram, you can write me there. And uh, yeah, so. <laughs> All right. You. This is a great episode of uh, Black Minor Podcast. That's it? Yeah. We're good. Yeah. <laughs>